0: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepker. Thank you so much for joining me today. My guests on the programme, Bob Blackman, Conservative MP for Harrow East, and also James Johnson, the senior advisor to Kext CNC, who was also an advisor to the former Prime Minister, Theresa May. So somewhat of a conservative slant today, but hopefully we'll get into some of our top stories and bring you some interesting nuggets. And let's start with what the government is doing when it comes to sweeping changes for planning rules in England, which have now gone out for consultation. Under the draft new laws, developers will be granted automatic permission to build homes and schools on sites that are categorised for growth. Now, the Housing Secretary, Robert Jenrick, says that this will also help the industry recover after the pandemic.
2: The number of starts this year, I'm afraid, will be well down on 240,000. It's difficult to know at the moment, but it could be as much as 30 or 40% less than that. We'll have to see how quickly the economy can bounce back. Obviously, we want to do everything we can to support it.
0: So Robert Jenrick there. Uh, the Labour Party is critical of the new plan, though, saying that it is a developers' charter that will see communities sidelined. The Royal Institute of British Art- Architects has warned that the changes could lead to the creation of the next generation of slum housing. Well, that split in sentiment over the new plans is also reflected in today's newspapers. I wonder if you've seen them. On the front page of The Times, uh, you've got uh, a big headline, planning revolution, the slum flashing of red tape, so a big cheer from The Times. On the other side, uh, the Guardian front page warning that the relaxed rules will appeal to developers, but are opposed by housing charities, planning officers and architects. So that uh, on our top story, we'll talk about the planning rules, uh, which, as I say, are only in consultation at the moment, but also, of course, on the virus and the pandemic in the UK. Aberdeen is the latest city in the UK that is now under new coronavirus lockdown restrictions. came into force yesterday afternoon. Pubs and restaurants were shut and residents are being told not to travel more than five miles from home after 54 coronavirus cases were linked to a cluster in the city. Now, the Scottish First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, says the decision has not been taken lightly. I'm also mindful of the need to act quickly and decisively if we are to succeed in our aim of keeping transmission as close to elimination levels as possible and also to protect our priority, and it is our priority, of getting young people back to school. So Nicola Sturgeon speaking, it does come, of course, after a spokesman for the Prime Minister earlier this week confirmed that a similar lockdown for London could happen in the event of a second coronavirus wave. Well, as I mentioned, I'm pleased to be joined this morning by Bob Blackman, who is the Conservative MP for Harrow East. Thanks for coming on the programme, Bob. Look, first of all, just on the Scottish point, is Scotland right to have brought in these extra restrictions for Aberdeen? They can obviously go their own way with their policy.
1: Yes, and obviously um, the more uh, compact an area um, and the more you can uh, scale, scale up and scale down, depending on the, the sort of outbreak that you've got, the easier mm. it is to, to have a, a control breakdown. And the, the problem about, of course, London is, is very different to, say, Aberdeen, where mm. you've got a clearly defined area, a geographical area, and a, and a much reduced population uh, compared to London. Which is obviously the, the challenge, and also the fact that most people in London uh, will travel uh, for work, you know, right across the uh, London and uh, mm-hmm. visit people and so on. So it's much more difficult to control an area like London to to say uh, an area which is more compact and precise, such as Aberdeen, which will yeah. have you know a small number of roads going in and a small number of roads coming out. And
0: but Bob, there were road. also a small number of cases. I mean, there were only 54 cases yeah. in Aberdeen.
1: Yes, indeed. But the problem is that if you uh, what we do know about this, this virus is that uh, if it uh, starts to spike and then people are visiting other people, uh, it can very rapidly spiral out of control. uh, And therefore, it's important to take action uh, at an early stage.
0: Hmm. Is it scare tactics by the government simply to put out this idea that you could, uh, you know, lock down anybody within the M25, um, you know, as opposed to the rest of the country? Is it scare tactics?
1: I don't think it's scare tactics, but but the problem slightly is it's a huge population uh, that that is within the M25 area. Um, You know, so that's equivalent to the population of Scotland, uh, Northern Ireland and Wales combined, so you know from that perspective it's i think it's a very difficult thing to lock down in in such a large geographical area which is a very high population
0: uh- Meanwhile, earlier this week, Yvette Cooper uh, and her committee, Home Affairs Committee um, in the House of Parliament, was talking about how it was absolutely inexplicable, the decision not to quarantine people coming into the UK. I mean, you've talked there about the geographic spread and uh, just how much people travel in Britain. Why did the government not actually properly test and screen and trace people who were coming in from mid-March?
1: Yes, I think in retrospect. I mean, the problem about this virus is we're all learning about things in in uh, retrospect. Um, the government have, have followed the scientific advice from the word go. Um, the the sad reality is that it's it's very difficult to track and trace people coming in. But I do think mm. that if where we've had people cu- arriving uh, at airports in particular um, coming from known areas of very high levels of COVID nineteen, then it just makes sense to, to give advice to people to say, "Look, you've arrived from a, um, a, a an area where the virus is uh, at its peak.
0: Yeah. We
1: therefore ask you to quarantine yourself for fourteen days. If you do um, get a uh, get the uh, symptoms, then you should get a test. And I think that, that should have been done. I, mean, yeah. I, I think, in retrospect, that should have been done at the beginning. Um, I think that, I think for most people." It doesn't. It's inexplicable that that wasn't done. But of course, you know, you'd have to ask one of the ministers and some of the mm. uh, the scientists as to why this wasn't recommended uh, right up front, because yeah. we had. In, in February, yeah. after we had the... The
0: same issue uh, with people returning from Italy. No, I'm, I'm really <laughs> pleased, Bob, that you agree with what seems to make sense um, to, you know, surely most of the population. But the the issue, though, and you you said it there, is around the science. And Yvette Cooper and, um those MPs, were saying that exact thing. What is the science? Because actually, when it came to that decision not to test and trace people coming into the uk as kind of visitors or returning to the uk that actually cooper says that there wasn't any scientific evidence to justify it so in some ways it's a great sounding uh, phrase but actually it's a bit meaningless if you don't publish the scientific data or or information that you're basing your supposed decisions on
1: yeah and i think one of the problems here is that that uh for most people, and I, you know, a large number of my constituents were asking the question about if they were returning from abroad uh, and they went through the airport. Why wasn't this being done? Mm. Um, because there was there were the, clearly one of the problems at, at the beginning um, of this process, and still today, really, is that we don't have a fast testing process um, to test people uh, and, and substantiate that they are either carrying the virus or suffering from it and one of the problems as well is even the tests that we have now can give false negatives in other words you know someone could could arrive back at an airport test negative and think oh that's fine i don't have to worry but then the symptoms arrive uh, 7 to 10 days later uh, which is the which is the big problem which is why i think the advice has now shifted very sensibly to say look if you've if you've arrived back from certain countries then uh, you must self isolate yeah. for, for 14 days I mean, this it, uh, to to a certain extent, what well, we are all learning about this virus, uh, uh, to be fair, and also learning what what should be done and how it can be done. Um, yeah, and the, the, but the unfortunately,
0: time- learning too slowly. Right, the boss of Circa, the outsourcing co- company that's doing this, that has a lot of these contact tracers today, has had to defend the fact that 10,000 contact tracers. On average, have spoken to two point four people each, and that the test and trace system, as you say, we're trying to get up to speed, but it's all too slow.
1: Yes, it is, and I think one of the problems here is um, that we in this country are not used to, for example, uh, you know, providing details of, uh, of where we've been, um, mm. where we're staying, and so on, to third parties. Uh, we're we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to get used to doing that, if because. This virus isn't going away, and as we try and get back to a normal way of life—or whatever new, new normal looks like—we're um, going to have to submit details to say, "Look, yes, okay, we we were on this flight on such and such a day. Uh, yeah. We're staying at such and such an address, and we'll be doing so um, for the next period of time. We'll give our phone numbers, give our, our contact details, etc. Yeah. People are going to need to contact us,
0: yeah. It, Although, surely." Our Yes, but surely that would be far better done through an efficient kind of mobile phone app. But anyway, we shan't go into the NHSX yeah, and, and so on. But look, I want to get one last question in with you, please, because mm-hmm. uh, you're an MP for Harrow East. How do you feel about the planning rules? Uh, a quick final thought, um, you know, sweeping aside the planning uh, rules to speed things up. Are your constituents well, going to want a swift building like this with basically no, very few checks and balances as far as I can see?
1: And that's the problem. I think um, the the planning system that we've we've had in this country has evolved over a period of time to enable planning officers to negotiate with developers uh, on the basis of what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. My worry about the presumption in favor of development uh, then puts local communities, in my judgment, on the back foot when, frankly, um, developments which should not be allowed uh, come forward and so,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, obviously, everyone wants to see um, uh, the developments of new housing speeded up yes. um, in appropriate places.
3: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie?
0: There's also lots of other news making it in the world of politics today. The latest data on England's contact tracing system is to be published today amid uh, concerns over how effective it is. Researchers at UCL and the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine have warned that the NHS test and trace system must rapidly improve in order to cope with schools reopening in September and the start of winter without effective testing and tracing. Their model suggests a second wave that would peak in December. Now, the Labour leader kiss some has criticised the current contact tracing programme.
1: The real question is, was the preparation put in place? And uh, what we've seen in Scotland, as we've seen across the UK, is a track, trace and isolate scheme that isn't working in the way that it should.
0: Now, one of the researchers put the current system's effectiveness at about 50%. Meanwhile, the boss of the outsourcing company, Serco, that is in charge of a lot of the uh, human contact tracers, the the physical work, uh, has had to defend his position. 10,000 contact tracers apparently have only spoken to an average of 2.4 people. So Robert Soames, the CEO of Serco, uh, amongst several companies that are recruiting these contact tracers, has had to admit that the test and trace system has more capacity than we need and uh, but the government had to start somewhere, so hardly satisfactory I'd say. Uh, meanwhile the Scottish Conservatives have appointed Douglas Ross as their new leader following last week's sudden resignation of Jackson Carlaw. His resignation came after several opinion polls showed a surge in support for Scottish independence. Now Ross was one of the few Scottish Tory MPs to hold his seat in last December's general election, uh, so that in Scottish News. And then lastly, the Bank of England has warned that unemployment could rise to 7.5% by the end of the year. That's almost double its recent rate. But it's actually lower than the bank's previous estimated 10%. Uh, The UK central bank said that the economic slump caused by the coronavirus will be less severe than predicted, with the economy shrinking 9.5% this year, instead of an initial estimate of 14%. But the bank did warn that the recovery will take longer than they had initially suggested. Although a lot of the people that I've been speaking to, this morning in the markets, say that actually the Bank of England's view of the V-shaped and a speedy recovery towards the end of this year and next year are actually on the rosy side. So that from the Bank of England uh, decision that we had out earlier today. Right. Uh, let's also talk uh, to our guest this morning away from uh, the news uh, in the world of politics uh, because increasingly uh, people are expecting to live with coronavirus for a long time to to come. That's according to the latest COVID-19 opinion tracker uh, by Kext CNC. Interestingly, Britons are giving up on following the rules to curtail the pandemic's spread, with swing voters saying that Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been sending somewhat mixed messages. Well, for more, I'm pleased to say that I'm joined by James Johnson, who is Senior Advisor at Kext CNC, also the founder of JL Partners, and a former advisor to the former Prime Minister, Theresa May. James, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with me.
2: Thank you.
0: Hi. So, look, just first of all, on that survey, okay. well, that's not surprising. We all know that the virus is going to be here for a while, unless we get a vaccine soon. Um, But the Britons are kind of giving up on following the rules. I mean, yes, the Johnson administration has been quite confusing now, trying to reopen the economy and also telling us to be wary. The messages are very mixed.
2: Yeah, I think what was really interesting in focus groups we've done recently and in research is that You see people, you know, if you think back in March, back in April, you know, the British public really was, uh, you know, the public who are most adamant um, about uh, the government prioritising health over the economy. They were the most uh, supportive of lockdown rules pretty much anywhere uh, in the Western world. We now seem to be seeing that shifting. And it's really interesting how people talk about it in in focus groups. They sort of say, um, well, you know, people have had enough. You know, there's no end point to this. It's going to go on forever. You know, we need to be realistic. We can't stay in forever. Um, and it's really interesting because, again, back in March and April, if anybody had a, you know, mis- uh, misinterpreted a lockdown rule or, or perhaps, you know, taken liberties with it or broken a, broken a, uh, a guideline or a restriction, nobody would have said that in one of my focus groups. No one would have admitted it. Mm. Whereas in my last set, a couple of people did say, including those in the new northern lockdown area. They said, well, yeah, well, you know, we had our plans arranged for ages, so he we went ahead. That social stigma is also uh, declining. Now, as I say, that's a bit of a fatigue mm. effect. Um, it's a bit of people wanting, um, uh, you know, sort of coming to terms with it. It's a bit of the economy coming to the fore and people realising that, you know, we do need to reopen things. But it's also that frustration about government guidelines as well. Um, yeah. and A sense of a lack of clarity on some of those things.
0: But interestingly, when you look at the numbers of how many people have actually gone back to work uh the uk numbers are incredibly low versus france and germany where you know the vast majority of people have restarted work so you know do you think it's it follows then that people actually kind of get back to their offices um and you know i do think you're right that the people are realizing the impact on the economy and, and on their own personal finances
2: yeah, and I think those those work-from-home figures are really interesting. I mean, what we did find in that same cacs C N C survey is that um, amongst people who have returned to work, they actually say it's better than they thought it was going to be, mm. it's safer than they thought it was going to be, and it's more productive uh, than they thought it was going to be. So amongst those returners, they actually feel quite good. But look, we're not returning in the same numbers um, as, on, as on the continent. I mean, a bit of that might obviously be the severity um, of the virus in, in, in our country. Um, it might also... Concerns over public transport I saw some figures saying that actually Brits need to commute a lot more to work um, than perhaps some uh, perhaps others on, on the continent yeah. But it's also this there is still this fear of the virus and it is and it is a lot more marked in the UK I mean again you know we did some research on this and we asked people um, you know the percentage of people they thought had coronavirus and the percentage of people in the country that had died of it and people think seven percent on average Um, have died uh, from coronavirus. Now, obviously, every death um, is a tragedy. Any death is too high. But the real figure on that is close to 0.05%. So, you know, we are seeing this heightened sense of perhaps, uh, you know, the prevalence and and deadliness of the virus, uh, which is probably affecting people's decision about whether to go out or not.
0: Hmm. Uh, Is it not also affecting people's decision? um, The idea that the UK government, uh, yes, is supposed to be following... You know, the science, but it's not been published, uh, did not uh, test and trace people coming into the country, does not have a test and trace system up and running now. The government um, has made failures, but they're not just kind of backward looking failures. They're things that could affect how we deal with the, the virus in the coming few weeks.
2: Yeah, and I think I think this is particularly, I mean, I think it's slightly unfair to say, you know, there's not a test and trace service up and running. I mean, you know, yet not an, an
0: effective normal. one.
2: As your report says, I think it's certainly uh, you know, there's clearly work to go, but you know it's still picking up people, um, and it is still it is still you know making making progress in that respect. But I think what you what was absolutely right is the clarity of message, and I think that's where we see these real frustrations in, in in amongst the public. Um, you know they feel like, well, if I don't know what what exactly I need to do, why would I do it? And it's not it's not only lack of clarity; it's also this feeling of a lack of understanding. It was really interesting because in one of my focus groups again, we mm. you know someone said, well, why would pubs have to close for schools to reopen? Um and it was interesting because that's something that just makes sense right to government and to the Westminster barbell. but actually those two the connection between those two things hadn't been made for that voter. So you know there needs to be that clarity. And of course there is also that constant spectre um uh, of the Dominic Cummings affair back in May. Um yes. and people still bring that up and still say Uh, you know, that moment changed my view on the rules. Now, whether that's real um, or imagined, it doesn't matter because that's how people are explaining their behaviour today.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, I understood the magnitude of that uh, scandal when it happened, but I am surprised now to hear it brought up again and again uh, with the people that I speak to is something that perhaps, um, you know, is going to have lasting impact. Um, So yeah, I'm very fascinated to hear about what your focus groups say. Yes, why should pubs close in order for schools to reopen? I mean, no, there isn't an immediate equivalence, is there? Um, But look, I also want to ask you whilst I've got you on the line are on the main story of the day, um, because the government is also trying to undertake lots of other business at the same time as they're trying to deal with the virus, which I understand is a terribly difficult thing to do. But the change in the planning rules in England, they really did make me want to tear my hair out, um, because it really It does not look as if these sorts of um, this, this kind of idea of zoning and of giving developers more free reign to build is actually going to result in more affordable new homes. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so
2: this is one area, I mean, what number 10 will be thinking on this is, you know, with all of their domestic policy is how do we lock in those voters in those red wall seats, um, you know, the North and the Midlands. And one of their major frustrations at the election last year was about infrastructure um, mm. and, you know, this sense of affordable housing, but also things like transport and other 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 elements of that as well. Um I think you're right. I think, you know, straight up front, I think that this is something uh, which on the face of it might even be slightly unpopular um, with with some of those voters. And housing is a great example where voters often say, yep, great, we want more housing. But actually, when it turns out that it's right next to their house um, or it's an area they quite like, people then go, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll slightly change my mind on that. Having said that, I think number 10 know that. And I think their calculation Is that the long term benefits of more housing and the effect that will have on affordability will pay off for them politically in the long term, if not immediately. So I think this is one of those ones where, yes, the short term impacts might not look great from the government's perspective, but actually it may well actually end up being better uh, from the government's perspective, but also for the country in a few years to come. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.